I'm 64 this year and I took up running nine years ago, age 55. So never say never. Anybody could do it. I didn't think I could run 100 yards. Last marathon before that was at the North Pole. How many marathons have you done now? 125. 125. That's not bad effort, is it? One of the keys to Trackmark is giving the operators that heads up that investment is going to be required, but then give them, importantly, a reasonable time frame in which to find it. Hello, welcome once again to the England Athletics podcast. This month, our tour of the country has taken us to Winchester and District AC. Talking of clubs, you'll also hear about a scheme introduced recently to encourage more investment in track and field facilities. Now, of course, if you have anything to add or any points you'd like us to discuss, you can always get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or indeed via the England Athletics website. But first, the story of a man who runs in an eight-foot-tall, bright green dragon costume. He's appropriately named Dana Power, and he took up running aged 55 nearly a decade ago. Dana, who runs as Puff the Asthma Dragon for charity, is getting ready for the London Marathon, an event to which he's no stranger. So I asked him what it's like to prepare. The training in uh, in Puff itself can be extremely hard. Last year's London Marathon was something else. It was the hottest on record, and it really, really did take its toll on me. Puff itself weighs approximately 15 kilos, and it's eight foot tall. It is really hard to get used to it. That's why I prefer training during January and February, really, when it's a little bit cooler. Um, my usual training run with Puff is round Bridge North, but mainly up and down what they call the Bridge North Bypass. It's exactly 1.1 mile long each way and it's quite a steep hill and as you can imagine being the bypass there's lots and lots of traffic about and i do get lots and lots of toots and waves and people some people even stop and video or take photographs which is it can be quite dangerous and i ask them just just to be careful but basically yeah it's uh, it's really hot in it my fundraising to date for all the charities I'm hoping by the time I get to um, finish London, I'm hoping the total for all the charities involved will be close to £40,000, which is all down to the generosity of the people of Bridge North and the surrounding areas. I say hopefully by the end of uh, this London Marathon, we ask me UK total will be £27,000 and total for all other charities, including Air Ambulance, Air Diabetes UK, Children with Cancer, Seven Hospice and various other charities, I'm hoping it'll be up to £40,000. And Dana, tell me about the support from the community, not only from a fundraising point of view, but in terms of looking after Puff and getting him ready. Loads of people to thank for all the, all my um, fundraising events throughout the nine years I've been running, but the main inspiration really, or the main uh, person I need to thank is my wife, Tina. Every time when I come back from running with Puff, uh, it always goes in the wash. The outer garments are a little bit more tricky. They have to be washed about every six to eight weeks. But Tina's always supporting me and Puff wherever I go running. She's always on the finish line waiting for me. Whenever Puff needs repairing, my neighbour Margaret is always on hand, which he does need repairing because he does gets um, battered against all the elements from outside and stitching comes undone. But my neighbour Margaret is absolutely golden. Last year, a book came out about his marathon exploits called The Marvellous Marathon Dragon, which sold really, really well. And went a lot of the 
raised a lot of money for Asthma UK. Now, I know you've explained to me that after you've done a marathon, you feel sore, you feel tired, you can't imagine doing it again, but then you kind of see your trainers in the corner of the room and you feel like putting them on afterwards. And uh, I think that's been the case for you year after year. You just keep going. This will be my uh, ninth uh, London marathon. Uh, it'll be the sixth one as Puff, but it's all in total, I've ran, this will be my 14th in total. Uh, having already completed New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Brighton, and Berlin. For other people, I, all I would say is just go out and do it. I'm 64 this year, and I took up running nine years ago, age 55. So never say never. Anybody could do it. I didn't think I could run 100 yards nine years ago. I really didn't. I was that unfit. I used to be fit in my younger days, but work and children and things got in the way of everything I was doing. But I've never, ever run a marathon up until nine years ago. So this would be my um, ninth, ninth London Marathon. Really looking forward to it. And hopefully get the 10th London Marathon in next year. We'll see how it goes after that. That's Dana Power, who runs marathons dressed as Puff the Asthma Dragon. Watch out for him on the telly if you're watching London this weekend, or even if you're spectating in person. Now, uh, every month we try and get out uh, on a visit to find out what makes one particular club tick. And this time it's the turn of Winchester and District Athletics Club. So we've sent uh, Chris Jones down there to find out what it's all about. Here at Winchester Athletics Club with uh, Stuart Horswood, Secretary of the club, and I'm here with Sarah Gardner, Club Support Manager for England Athletics. We're here on a Tuesday night, expecting upwards of 250 people to be here training from a few minutes away up through to about 8 o'clock. So uh, action-packed here at Winchester, a beautiful track here at the university. So Stuart, tell us a bit about uh, the club and what we should expect to see tonight. Well, there's a lot of young runners here, about three or 400 at least. As you say, about 200 of those will be coming. The um, more senior runners go out on the, the road, so we don't see them so much. And the club is arguably one of our biggest in terms of number of registered athletes and runners. Yeah. And uh, has the club seen a steady growth over the last few years? It has, yeah. We're now over 900, um, and we're the fifth largest in England. And what do you put that growth down to, mainly? The environment, the community, the enthusiasm, the, the coaches, they're all very keen, all dedicated, and they're seen around the county, uh, and they tend to attract people, there's magnetism. I was just looking at the list of coaches, actually, you've got some really experienced coaches here, you've got Nick Anderson, who Absolutely. works with England Athletics yeah. on our Club Run and Marathon programme. my son about 20 years ago. Oh, okay, yeah, he's been around a while. Okay, um, I won't tell him that. No, I was going to say, don't, and uh, Tom Craggs and people like that, uh, yeah. who are experienced coaches. And uh, Sarah. Even Sherman is out there coaching at the moment in the rain. Zone. Oh, there you are. Can't always be strategic. You've got to get your hands dirty Absolutely. occasionally, yeah? And Sarah, you've used this uh, venue on a number of occasions for England athletics activities. Tell us a bit about those. Uh, yeah, the venue's fantastic because it's very accessible, lots of parking. We've used it for LERF courses, run leader development days. Very passionate committee, very passionate coaches. Um, some superb work that, that happens here. Um, on a very, very big scale. So it's going to be great tonight to find out more about how they actually manage that. Thank you. And Stuart, you're not just secretary, you're actually a keen marathon runner as well. I understand you were out, out in Hong Kong at the, the weekend. Go, Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, it was pretty hot, pretty humid, but I uh, kept it going. I did the best time for about seven years. The last marathon before that was at the North Pole. And how many marathons have you done now? 125. 125. That's not bad effort, is it? Eh? 71 years old. Oh, well, there you are. And what's your next uh, aim? I'm doing the metric marathon in Chester oh, okay. in October. 
Okay. The normal marathon is 26 miles. This is 26 kilometres. Oh, fantastic. So that's a, not the MBNA Chester yes, Marathon. It is, it is. It is. It is. Yeah, yes, OK. Yes, right, well, that's the one where we integrate our... Mas- or we have done our Masters Marathon uh, programme into... where we've had an international Masters team compete in England Vest. That was that was the kind of inaugural event, uh, right. two, uh, 2017. So uh, good luck with that. Have you done it before? Not the metric. I've done, obviously, the marathon. But we're trying to get a lot of people from here to go as a transit between the half marathon and the marathon. You don't hit the wall... 26 kilometres, you don't have that, so it's a chance to stretch yourself a little bit. So I'm trying to get as many as possible. Well, good luck with that. And uh, in terms of hopes for the club in the future, um, what would you say is the, the main priority for the club over the next 12, 18 months? We're trying to bring in some expertise, because we've got a lot of experienced uh, coaches here, but there's always something new that you can learn. And if you can see it from someone who's actually done it himself and now gone into coaching, there's a lot of chance of development. And of course you're in Hampshire, which is, uh, has a strong association. I think you're arguably the largest club in Hampshire. And you're also championship director, is that right, this that's year? Right. track and field championships and the, the multi-event. So, yeah, keep myself busy. Well, that's good. And we look forward to an action-packed evening. Thanks a lot. Good, look forward to it. Cheers. So I'm here with John Miller, founder of Winchester AC. You must be particularly proud when you look around the track and you look at how the club's developed over the years. Oh, golly, since 1976, when uh, I was on the Sports Council at Winchester, and uh, we, we, we thought we ought to have an athletic club because my daughter was keen. <laughs> and it all started from there, having been uh, one of the four founder members of Stenning AC in 1951. And my training partner at the time was Norman Reed, who immigrated New Zealand and won the 19, 1950, yeah, 1956 uh, Olympic Games. Yeah. Once um, we got approval from the Sports Council at Winchester, Jim Fox did a, a charity run in 1975 before he won the Olympic Games. It was so hot that only the, my daughter and I turned up. And basically, he was the catalyst because he then went on and won the Olympic Games and within six months, we had 150 youngsters all wanted to do athletics. Fantastic. And you were talking about your journeys to uh, Crystal Palace to seek the guidance of the great coach, John Lemaz. You know, when you when you look around now and you see more uh, younger coaches coming through and people prepared to help out parents and that, that must have been really important to you when you were starting the club up, yeah? Oh, very important. Um, I relied solely on school teachers who basically were the only ones that had coaching license if you can call it as such Um, and without them we wouldn't have survived uh, because we had no facilities and we used the the cricket boundaries on at these schools Winchester started a league which developed into the Hampshire Young Athletes League which is now the Wessex League so we were the founder members uh, then we weren't to know it was going to happen like this it's just what happens Uh, but we got a great lot of people around us and you can't do it and one of the people that everybody will know is Helen Rowlandson. She was a school teacher in Winchester and and taught my daughter (laughs) and she actually started the gym by doing pop mobility in the gym for the uh, younger participants. She, She was fantastic, I'm an incredible woman. So I'm here with Adrian Horton and we've got an endurance group that have set off with their miners' headlamps on and I can hear the M3 in the background here at Winchester and just tell me what kind of session you're running tonight. 
Uh, so we're, uh, we're running an interval session. Uh, we've got uh, six lots of five minutes with a 75 second recovery. So to build a bit of endurance and uh, this, this session on the, on the grass, quite soft, ideal for people who, who are just recovering from a bit of injury, uh, also people training for cross country. And what, uh, how many nights a week will you be coaching? Uh, just one one night a week on Tuesday. That's enough, yeah. hey, yeah, that's enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to run myself as well. Yeah, oh, very good. And <laughs> you're an experienced runner yourself? Yeah, I run a lot, yeah. I run six six days a week, yeah. Excellent. And so you've uh, been doing cross-country yourself this, uh, I do this bit, season? I do a bit of cross-country. I do a lot of road running as well. I, I'm training for the London Marathon. And, oh, fantastic. Uh, Is that your first time? Or? No, uh, my second. I did it in 1993. And what was your time then? 310. And what are you aiming for this year? 315. Fantastic. Well, good luck with yeah. that. Right, thank you. One of the challenges we face, as I mentioned in my note, is getting girls in particular engaged actually wanting to do it. So we're finding that about two-thirds of the two-thirds of boys and one-third of girls. So and you're right, right in terms of coaches and leaders, you've got enough people to look after? Yeah, them? and one of the things I've really worked hard on is the other coaching. You see all there, they're yeah. all helpers now. I mean, when I first started here four years ago, we had maybe one or two people helping mm-hmm. this group, which is why the numbers were so down. So the key is to get the parents, parents engaged involved, yeah. now so they can then follow the kids all the way through the club. So we, in this group, we've got about 12 helpers, right, which fantastic. is fantastic. Have and you had many go through the athletics leader course and coaching assistant? We do, yeah, yeah. We've got about three or four going through their assistant uh, coaching course. Yeah. Michael's just done it. Right, great. Julie's got an athletics background. She's there with uh, the yeah. notepad. She's um, doing it. We've also got um, uh, a coach that does cycling, and she's mm-hmm. come to the club, and she's going to yeah. be doing it soon. Super. So we're bringing them through. Um, Lee and myself, we came through. We've brought children here and then came through it and so is Becca as well the key thing is just to try and engage these adults get them involved give them responsibility mm. and then uh, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll get involved so you've got no end of under 11s what happens beyond under, under 11s? 11s so I mentioned the two groups which are the under 11s um, academy yeah uh, over you'll see Nick Anderson we'll go over there shortly yeah. but he's got about he's got about 100 athletes that go from years five six seven yeah and eight yeah which are doing endurance uh-huh. um, they used to do it looks like the same up here actually on this hill right. so they yeah. might be doing it here tonight so he's got that as well so there's a sort of three groups mm-hmm. and then there's a sports hall as well which takes year fours and fives right. which is indoors today yeah. so that's the sort of groups and they then feed into um, the development group um, which is for years six and seven so we've got about 50 or 60 in that that's where the real challenge is because that's when we really need to get down to detailed coaching. So track and field generally in this country is a relatively small sport. There are only about 40,000 people doing track and field out of 180,000 yeah. registered athletes. Most of the participants are older runners. Yeah, yeah. And most of the track and field participants are under the age of 20. What we're finding is around the ages of 15, 16, of course, yeah. youngsters start to drop out or go yeah. and do other things, yeah. etc. There's a lot happening at that stage yeah. in their development, you know, secondary school, higher education, exam results, peer pressure, etc. So do you find that's a common challenge here? Yeah, I mean, you absolutely, as soon as they go to secondary school, they're getting lots, lots of different options. Mm. What we've tried to do here is to build up sort of, uh, sort of communities and social, social groups. Yeah. And so we've been successful. I mean, when I first started here four years ago, we had 45 athletes in my group. And four years on, at least half of them are still with the club. But what we've tried to do is to make it fun. Well, you heard there lastly from Paul Cox. That's the chairman of Winchester and District Athletics Club. Thanks as always to Chris Jones for uh, going down to Hampshire and capturing the sights and sounds of a midweek training session. Now we're going to talk about a scheme called Trackmark set up last year to try and promote the upkeep and encourage investment in track and field facilities around the country. In some cases, giving clubs the impetus needed to make their case for funding 
to the powers that be. Michael Hunt is the expert on this. He's recently been installed as England Athletics Facilities and Planning Manager. And Michael has been talking to our reporter, Nick Settle. I've been involved in athletics since I was at school, really. Ended up competing at some 800, 1500 metres till I was 17, 18. Then found football, um, so played football till I was 30 at a reasonable level, and then at 30 got back into athletics again. Bit of road running, a few marathons, and a bit of cross country. I still compete today for for Rosendale Harriers, which is my local local club. And then I've worked in sport and leisure for the past 27 years. So 10 of your, 10 of those have been with athletics, either three A's I used to work with, and then England Athletics and UK Athletics more recently is there facilities manager now back with um, England Athletics which is nice as facilities manager but in addition to that I've got 10 years experience of sport and leisure facility management. Brilliant. sounds like we've got a, a good man for the job anyway so topic today is to talk about Trackmark what was the reasons for, for bringing in Trackmark? Okay so I mean the, the good news for for England to start off with is that we've got a network of around 260 track and field facilities so it's not as if we're fighting for new facilities there's a, there's a good infrastructure of facilities already out there I guess the challenge for us as a governing body is that um, the vast majority of the facilities as clubs out there will know are approaching sort of 30th 40th birthday in some cases and many have had very limited investment over the over the period so unfortunately, contrary to popular belief, facilities don't last forever, particularly when exposed to the great British weather. Um, and whether all areas of provision, whether it's the track surface, throws cage or landing beds, all of them ultimately have a shelf life. Track mark is brought in to be that early warning system or the, the polite nudge to the operator that says, hey, this facility is not going to last forever and you, you really need to set aside some time and resource not only to look after the facility but also to refurbish it and replace it in the future so for example a typical track has got a we, we usually reckon has, has got an expected life of 25 years something like that but if there's been no routine maintenance work or, or resurfacing done during the period then the operator can expect a bill of somewhere in the region of half a million quid um, to big, replace big the track. Money, big money. Uh, definitely. <laughs> so how many operators in England have, would have the ability to dip in their pockets at this moment in time and find that sort of money at short notice? Not many, I guess. One of the keys to Trackmark is giving the operators that heads up that investment is going to be required, but then give them, importantly, a reasonable time frame in which to find it. And that's aimed at encouraging, as I say, a long-term financial planning by firmly placing on the desks of senior management the need for continued investment in track and field. I was going to say, we've got quite a lot of clubs out there either owning tracks, we've got them either using tracks. Um, Can you kind of illustrate how Trackmark is going to help clubs? They've got genuine leverage to go back to the operator and say, we need this to do in the past. Rightly or wrongly, clubs have said, well, we want some investment in this, that and the other. And in a lot of cases, they've been met with resistance. So we want to give them the tools to be, to have that leverage to get the investment. Um, and we've already seen that sort of early days of track marking. It was only launched last October. Brickfields in Plymouth and Kings Park in Bournemouth. So both started the process, had the track inspection done. The inspections brought up issues. Um, It didn't mean the closure of the track, it just meant that it identified problems that needed addressing. And as a direct result of that, both of those facilities are now looking at complete 
track resurfacing within the next 12, 18 months, which is absolutely brilliant for the sport and great news for obviously for the, the clubs that are hosted there. I know early doors, a lot of um, venues and clubs were concerned of, oh, we know our track's probably not the best. And actually, if we get someone to come and inspect it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to close it down. Yeah. That is absolutely not the intention. And the, the rating is such that it, it's, all, it's a red, amber, green. So the green, in many cases, is the ultimate standard. So, for example, the IAAF have standards for track surfaces which is designed to be at, at that competitive top level. Yeah. So yes, great, if, if venues can achieve that, fantastic, and we know that they're all achieving the IDLF standard. But in that case, there's also um, a standard for outdoor plane surfaces that sits underneath that. Yeah. That is equally says that your surface is adequate and it, it's safe. And beneath that is the red, which essentially means that it's, it's unsafe, it's not fit for purpose. If someone injured themselves or slipped on a track, um, then you're going to have the operator will have problems with litigation, etc. They may get a claim. To be honest, my feeling is that the vast majority of tracks in in England, if and across the UK, will sit in either the amber or the green category. Yeah. But I would guess that in most cases, the ones that are red, the club and the operator are going to know that already. There'll be, there'll be obvious holes in the track. It'll feel hard. They'll be slipping all over on it. It will be in a poor way. Quite a few will fall in amber, no doubt. Uh, that means they'll be certified in the short term, but then it will give um, an action plan for the operator over the next, over the three-year accreditation period, that allows them to address things before they go for the next, the next accreditation. Another question: What I sometimes get asked on club visits is um, the link between, say, getting a competition license and um, the link with Trackmark. Um, can, can you just t- touch on that point for us? Yeah, so we have, as with all things, there has to be a, a consequence of not doing something, otherwise people don't do it. So we had to have a, a bit of stick, if you will, as well as carrot for yeah. operators. So because there's a lot of tracks out there, we phased it. So this year, most clubs will know that for licence level two competitions, which essentially is in England, it's regional champs and above, um, they need to have achieved or be working towards, which is important, track mark accreditation. And out of all the licences we've had through so far, we've only had two where we've had to go back to the venue and, and ask them certain questions just to give us reassurance that the venue is safe and fit for purpose. For level one, which is the vast majority of other competitions, the, the venues have got until April next year to achieve track mark or again to be working towards. I, I understand clubs' concerns around dates, but we will do everything possible to c- continue to licence competitions unless there's a genuine reason not to. And I'm sure the clubs would want us to do it anyway, not to licence it if there was a safety issue. My next question, or questions what I get asked asked a lot, is regarding the units and the potential costs to the units. For sure. I mean, the unit costs, obviously, it's it's new scheme, so it's it, in some cases it's money that venues haven't budgeted for. Most venues will look at units one to four of track mark, so unit one being track and unit two being field, and then three and four are um, ancillary and then operations. So unit three and four are self-assessment. So you don't need to get someone coming in. You don't need to pay people to come and look at those. They can be done by the venue. And and that's just basically taking a couple of pictures, uploading them. Yeah, it's ans- answering some multi-choice questions, uploading some documented evidence. Unit one um, for track surface. That's a it's a highly technical area. So we look at things like um, surface thickness, force reduction, slip. Yeah. Um, the levels of the track 
and you or I could go and look at a track and think it looks fantastic, but it's what happens underneath that's the important bit. Definitely. Yeah. So we have um, IWF accredited labs, professional labs. There's only two in the UK that do the inspections for us. The, the full IWF inspection is three grand, so I'm sure lots of operators wouldn't welcome that sort of cost. We drove the cost down and said, look, look we need to come up with a credible, scaled-down track surface test that tests that measures the standards. So we've managed to get that to under a grand. It's about 900 quid. There's two companies that do it, Sports Labs and Labo Sports, yeah. and they're the ones who come out and do the track surface inspection. So there's six approved um, contractors who can come out and look at the cage. They can do the visual inspection, and then we have an independent cage load test, which is done by ROSPA. They're a safety organisation for sport and play. Across the two, um, you're looking at about £2,000 for okay. your track and your field. There's loads of information on the UK website, yeah. so under the facilities section there's a whole load of info on the, the units, the guidance, there's an overview presentation, approved contractors, so there's there's lots of information out there. They can email either myself, mhunt at englandathletics.org or at UKA, trackmark at uka.org.uk. From a club support manager's point of view, um, I think once the say the track mark assessment has been done and say work has been highlighted uh, and say facility operators or clubs are looking for say funding to support support the say the development work, not the potential the process to go through. They, they can actually get in touch with uh, 12 club support managers nationally to uh, to help identify sort of external funding um, and, and work with you with that as well as as Michael so there is a lot of support there from England athletics internally what we can we can offer really can't we Michael yeah um, our intention is just to, to help people through the process not it's not a process where we want people to fail absolutely the opposite it's there to um, to help encourage development in athletics facilities. Michael Hunt there, England Athletics Facilities and Planning Manager, talking all about uh, Trackmark. More details, as always, can be found on the England Athletics website. And that's it for this month, so uh, do hope you'll continue listening to the podcast and plenty to come throughout the outdoor season, which will soon be upon us. For now, though, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>